There's a scarlet thread that runs through scripture, a thread of redemption and of hope. From the dawn of creation to the return of Jesus, the story of the saving God unfolds. Let us follow this thread, allowing the truth of God's grace, God's mercy, God's promise of rescue to sew our broken souls into the fabric of his promises. Let us wonder at his encounters, marvel at his majestic power, and be overwhelmed by his attention to detail. Mostly, let us be captivated by his relentless passion to redeem the rebel race and reclaim us into his family. God created man in his image, and man fell into sin. The curse was spoken, and all mankind was then fallen, and he could not get up. But God, the most profound statement one can utter, but God stepped into our fallen state and promised a rescue. The covenant maker gave us an eternal promise that he would come for us. In the garden, the curse was spoken that he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. But in the curse was the promise, come and see the promises of God. I am always amazed at how God is always in front of us. We make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. And as we go through this season of, well, uncertainty, this season of pandemic, a pandemic, excuse me, that we, we find ourselves really needing to hear from God and really needing to hear from his word. So I have a statement, and you'll see this projected here, that great lives are built on great promises. Great lives are built on great promises. And this profound statement really underlines that we are a people who need, we, we need a promise. We need God to whisper to something to us about a future, a future in a hope, a, a promise of redemption, a promise of healing, a promise of restoration, a promise that this virus would dissipate, that we could live in freedom. It's amazing how I wrote this talk uh, two weeks ago before we had the social isolation. We had the other parameters that our government has placed upon us. But it just fits right in with our current need today. It seems to me that when we planned this series of messages months ago, God already knew what we would need to hear in these days. Believing great promises from God holds our hearts steady in uncertain days. Now, I had a lady tell me this the other day at the grocery store. I was there not buying toilet paper like everybody else in the world, but obviously you were buying eggs and bread and milk and other things that like, okay. But I was in the grocery store and she grabbed my hand and she said, Pastor Scott, we have to remember that throughout scripture it says, and it came to pass. It came to pass. Now that's quoting an idiom from the King James Bible about the passing of time. But literally, the things, the circumstances of our lives, they come and go. My father said this about worry. He said, most of the things we worry about don't happen. And if they do happen, they don't amount to much. That was a great life lived, held by the great promises of God. God knows the seasons and days and circumstances of our life. And we've been tracing the scarlet thread of God's promises that's blending us into the fabric of his promises to hold our souls together. And today, we're gonna to continue this talk and we're gonna look at the promises God made to Abraham. Abraham believed God 
and he believed God, so now we are blessed because of Abraham's belief. Now, that sounds a little bit um, audacious to say that, but the thing I have to remember is that my faithfulness to God turns into a blessing to the thousand generations that follow after me. I'm living currently under the blessing of my grandparents and their parents and their parents and their parents back to a thousand generations. And hopefully and prayerfully and actually with certainty of God's promises that my children and their children and their children are going to live in under those promises as well. But before we get to Abraham and talk to him about him specifically in the Abrahamic covenant, I want to give you some promise facts. And here they are. First of all, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. God is a promise-keeping God. Now, it's not predicated on us. And as we look at the covenants of God, we see very quickly that his promises are not predicated on us. It's predicated on him. God says something, he's going to do it. We might be stupid, but God's going to do what he's going to do anyway. In fact, we probably might not be stupid, but probably we are. So when he makes a promise, he keeps it. Here's the second thing. Promises of God are secured by his omnipotent will. God knows in advance what's going to happen. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, there's a coronavirus. God created the coronavirus, or perhaps that the coronavirus came into being because of sin. Sin caused the degradation and the cause of diseases, but God knows these things, and he knows these things in advance. It's his omnipotent will. He understands it, and he keeps his promises because they're secured by his omnipotence. That means his all-knowing nature. There are 5,467 promises from God found in Scripture. 5,467 promises found by God in Scripture, which that's just overwhelming. Promises he'll never leave us or forsake us. Promises that he'll empower us. Promises that he will give us wisdom. Promises that he'll put words in our mouth that we need. Promise that he will provide for us. His promises, there's 5,467 of these promises found in Scripture, which is incredible. And all of these promises are yes in Christ Jesus. All of them are yes in Christ Jesus. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. For as many are the promises of God, in him are yes. Therefore, through, also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. Now that word amen means the agreement. That's what amen means. Some of you just say amen, you don't know what it means. Well, it means I'm agreeing. Amen, I agree. And so we have our amen. We are in agreement with this. Now with that said, let's look at Abraham and see a man who was made right with God not by what he did, but by what he believed. Abraham believed. It says this in scripture, Abraham in the book of Romans. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That his belief then, his saying yes to God, created then a cascading of the promises of God found in, in his life. And so we're going to look at this promise that made the Abrahamic covenant that's blessing you today. And I believe we'll go on a great adventure. Now, faith has always been the pathway to God. It's never been by works. We can never be made right by our own self-effort, our own good deeds. We must come to God by faith. We have to believe that he is, and he's the author and the finisher of all there is. And I've heard this said, that faith is not believing in spite of evidence, but obeying in spite of consequences or circumstances. 
that obeying in spite of consequences or circumstances. Now, many times, obeying God, believing him, and then reacting in obedience to him brings about consequences that are sometimes cataclysmic. That the disciples believed Jesus, and then they acted in accordance with that belief, and they all were martyred, except for John. He was boiled in oil and thrown on the island of Patmos where he had the revelation. I think maybe being cooked with oil would give you a revelation, but John had that revelation, and so it led to the consequences. Now, believing God and obeying God doesn't mean safety as we know it, but it means security that is incomprehensible to us, that God holds us in his promises. Now, let's look at this promise God made to Abraham and see how this promise now has become ours in these uncertain days. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning or this evening or whenever we're watching this. And I pray that you just speak through me, that uh, the words I say, the phrases I choose, the thoughts that come will be from you and not from me. And I thank you for how faithful and good you are. I thank you that in spite of all the circumstances of our life, you're able to do more than we could ever ask or think. And I just thank you for this opportunity. And I pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'm really glad you joined me. I know this is in a video context, so you're really not with me live, but I'm going to play like you are in my heart. I'm going to talk to you like you were here because I believe you will be here. You can access the, the notes that you might need to take through this on a PDF format here found attached to this video. But let's walk through some things. You might want to jot some things down, some things you might want to share, our questions you might have, and we'll give you opportunity to participate in that way as well. But here's the first thing I want you to hold on to. Now, we're going to be in the book of Genesis. We're going to look at Genesis actually Three different places in Genesis, you see the Abrahamic promise. First, you see the covenant promise, and then there's some reminders. And I want you to hold on to that because God often promises us something, and then he has to remind us that he's promised us something. I, I don't know about you, but I find that true in, in my relationships. I promised my wife some things when we got married, and, and I have to keep reminding her that I'm going to hold on to my promises. I promised my kids some things when they were growing up, and then I have to hold on to those promises. I promised my, my little girls, my granddaughters, some things, and, and they need to, Papa needs to remind them of their promises. In fact, we had one this week that I promised them that I would take them to Nukes, and then Ivy reminded me, said, Papa, when we go to Nukes, we have to go get ice cream afterwards. I said, yes, all the promises of Papa are yes and amen. So I carry out those promises, and this is exactly what God does for us. Now, here's the first question I want to ask. Why in the world would God call Abraham? Why would he do that? I hear a question. Why in the world would he call you? You're not exactly what I would call the pick of the litter. No offense, but probably none taken. You understand this. We are all basically dumpster fires. Of course, God likes to light the world with dumpster fires. That's what he does. Why would he call Abraham? Now let's look at scripture and see what it says. We're in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram. Now he changed his name later to Abraham and his wife was named Sarah and, she was, uh, and he changed her name as well to Sarah. Uh, from Sarah, Sarah to Sarah. Okay, it's a pronunciation thing. The Lord changed her name and he said to Abram, he said this, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house. Now listen, he said, from your father's house. So that means you can't live with daddy anymore. 
So go on from there, and we'll, that'll be important in a second when we circle back to it. To the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is the beginning of the Abrahamic covenant. Now kind of put some things into perspective. Here's some things I want you to know. When God called Abraham, or Abram, either way, we're gonna call him Abraham just for, for the ease of, of remembering. We called Abraham, Abraham was a pagan. He grew up in Ur of the Chaldees, that's where he lived, and their local god was Nanar, the moon god. That's who they worshiped, Nanar, the moon god. Uh, and, and so that's what Abraham was, grew up in the custom of, of worshiping a pagan, a pagan god, a god who was not a god. So uh, why would God do that? Now, why would God come along and call, talk to a man who's 75 years old at the time, his wife, approximately 10 years younger than him, he would call them and he would promise to this old man and this old woman who had no children that he would, he would make them a great nation. Okay, God, I think if you're gonna make a great nation, you'd call a couple of you know, 19, 20-year-olds that were in the prime of their life and the, and the, the prime of fertility, but no, he calls to an old man and an old woman, 75 years old and 65 years old approximately. He speaks to him and said, I'm gonna make you a great nation. I can imagine Abraham going home that evening and uh, maybe uh, they just come from the pagan temple of Nanar, the moon god, and he says to his wife, said, hey, baby, we're going to have us some youngins, and we're going to bless the whole world because Nanar, the moon god, really ain't a god. And I talked to the real god, and the real god said, we're going to have some children. And she looked at him and said, Abraham, you've lost your ever-loving mind. Oh, by the way, baby, we're going to have to load up our camels and our tents. We're going to have to move. Well, moving always moves mama, always, usually to the negative. But we're going to have to move. We're going to have to go to a place we don't know. Can you imagine on the way, Sarah speaking to Abraham? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Can we settle in yet? Are we there yet? Are we there? Don't turn there. Stay out of that lane. Behave yourself. <laughs> so all of this, God is speaking to this man who's a pagan who didn't even know God, but God decided to do what only God can do. Now listen to me very carefully. God always does what only God can do. And the Abrahamic promise is just that outrageous, audacious promise that launches into effect that something only God can do. Now, Abraham is considered the father of three major religions and three really major people groups. Abraham is the father of this. Why? Because God was doing what only God can do. Now, what do you need God to do in your life that only God can do? Uh, maybe you're, you're sick. <laughs> it seems to, the whole world's sick right now. Maybe you need God to do something only God could do. Maybe your children are rebellious. You need God to do something only God could do. Maybe your bank account's empty with the economic downturn. I know your retirement account's empty, but maybe God can only do what God can do. The psalmist says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor God's seed beg for bread. That God is the God who comes through and who delivers. What do you need God to do. Now, I want to say this to you. There's three reasons God chose Abraham, and here they are. First of all, God was concerned for Abraham personally. God loved Abraham, not because he saw in the future Abraham's obedience and Abraham's faith. 
is God saw in the present Abraham as an object that he created to love. And he does the same thing for you. He loves you. He doesn't love some future form of you. He doesn't love the Abraham in you. He loves the Abram in you. And he loved him personally. And God came to him personally. And he began this covenant revelation to Abraham personally because he loves him personally. And God loves you the same way. Now, through the unction and the power of the Holy Spirit, which Abraham did not have the benefit of that we do, God comes and whispers love to us and he loves us personally. Here's the second thing. You see, that God wanted to use Abraham to be a blessing to the world. God doesn't call you, listen to me very carefully, God doesn't call you solely for your benefit. Now, this is something we in the Western world, we struggle with because we have set up this thing that God is a personal God, and he is a personal God, and he works on us personally. But he always works in you personally so he can use you to bless people corporately. That's how he works. That he comes into our lives and he personally redeems us so that I may be a blessing. You have to remember this. The church is the only movement in the world that exists not for the benefit of its members, but for the benefit of the world. Now we get that confused. We think we're a social club. We think we're a country club without a golf course. So we are. We're a people redeemed by God because he personally loves us that we might be a blessing, blessing to the world. That's why during this pandemic, we are going to feed people because we're here not to be fed, but to feed others. Oh, that's why we're going to care for one another because it's not the concern for my personal well-being. I want to be concerned for your well-being because God wants to use me to be a blessing to the world. Now, here's the third thing I want you to see in Abram's life, that not only Abraham was personally loved by God, but wanted to be used as an example to, the, to a, a blessing to the world. He wanted for Abraham's life to be an example for all who follow. Your life and your obedience, your faith, becomes an example to others. I learned how to walk with Jesus by watching my parents, by watching my pastor, by watching my brothers and, brothers and sister, by watching many of you, I learned to walk with Jesus by harvesting the example you set before me. And that's why God puts us into community. We grow best in community. That is why it's so important in these days of social isolation to stay in your group of 10, to have your group of 10, to stay connected because we need the example. You know, panic produces pandemonium, but panic is dissolved in the promises of God. God is for us. You see, you're saved by faith, to live by faith, to obey in faith, to be an example to people of your faith. You know, the promises of God are always predicated by our response to faith, always. God could have called Abraham, and Abraham could have said, nope, I'm good. And instead of Abraham, it might have been Tyrone, or it might have been Fred, or it might be a name we cannot pronounce, like there's a bunch of those in the Bible. That, but God called Abraham, and Abraham said, yes. He said, yes, just say yes. 
Just say, okay, God, I'm in. Let's go. I know where we're going. Let's go. Let's go. I, I, you have my yes before you ask. Now, sometimes the yes before he asks leads you on the great adventures that have twisty, winding paths, but God is always faithful and he's always present because his promises thread our lives into the fabric of our souls and us together for his glory. Now, here's the next thing I want you to hold on to, a big thought, that the covenant was reestablished to Abram as a reminder, as a reminder. Now, we're going to jump ahead to Genesis 15, and we're going to see this kind of mystical unfolding of just the, more this, the, the, the calling of, of Abraham being solidified. Now, I want to say this to you. Oftentimes, God moves in our lives, and it's a little mystical, and it's a little misty. But God will always come back and reinforce himself in the practical and the clarity. He always does that. He's done that for me several times where he's come to me in kind of a mystical nuance and then he's affirmed that through the circumstances or the testimony of other believers or through the validity of his word. He keeps reminding me. So the covenant was reestablished. Let me read. And he said to him, this is Genesis 15, 7, 7 through 16. And he said to him, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. And he said, now he'd gone to Canaan now, the promised land, oh Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? So he said to him, now this is interesting, Abraham said, God, how do I know this? And I've done this before, God, I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna say yes to you, but how do I know you're gonna do this? And so God gave him a very practical, cultural evidence. In ancient times, when two men would come into an agreement about purchasing land, they didn't go to the attorney or to the closing company and sign documents. They would make a covenant between themselves called a blood covenant, and they would take animals and they would cut them in half, and they would walk through the bloody gore of these animals cut in half, and they would, what they were saying, if you drop your ball on the end of this covenant, you're going to be covered in blood, but it ain't going to be animals, it's going to be your blood. And I'm going to allow myself to be put in this precarious position that if I don't pursue these promises, these covenants of God, then I too am going to sacrifice my blood. And so God did something very cultural here for Abraham to solidify or bring clarity to the covenant. He said, oh Lord God, how am I going to know you possess it? So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer. Now a heifer is a cow, a calf, and a three-year-old female goat, and I think here in Hill Country, you know what goats are. And a three-year-old ram, you know, that's a male. And a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought the, all those things to him and he cut them in two and laid each on the opposite side of the other. But he did not cut the birds. Why didn't he cut the birds? Because they're too damn small. Now he had to obviously kill the birds and the letting of blood. So this is a bloody scene. A, a cow cut in half, a, a goat cut in half, a, a um, a ram cut in half. This was a bloody mess. The integrals and everything laid out there. And then um, the birds, and he, he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. That's the buzzards. They came to eat the carcasses. In fact, by the way, if I was going to be a buzzard, I'd want to live in the hill country because there's plenty of critters to eat here on the roadside, just, just so you know. And he, Abraham drove them away. Abraham drove them away. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. That's like some of y'all listen to this sermon right now. The deep sleep has fallen upon you. Anyway, this is what happened to Abram. And he, behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. In other words, Abram went into a dream state, but it wasn't a dream. This was real. 
It was that revelation of God. Now, you say great, great, uh, great terror and darkness fell upon him. Now, that doesn't sound like the Lord. The Lord is the Lord of light. The Lord is the Lord of promise. But when you're dealing with God in a way you've never done, it's going to scare you. The first thing that angels say when they show up, fear not. Why? Because God, when he shows up, scares you. You're not used to dealing with the most holy. And so he came to Abraham and he revealed this to him. And this is what God did. And God said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land and it's not theirs. They will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. And what God was doing was prophesying the Egyptian captivity or the slavery in Egypt. And they would be impressed for over, oppressed for over 400 years. And I will also judge the nation whom they serve. That's the Egyptians. And afterwards, they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you'll be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation, they will return here, for the iniquities of the Amorites is not yet complete. Now, you read that last phrase, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not complete. What in the world is that? The Amorites were indigenous people in the land of Cana. They were a perverse people. They were a people who practiced all manifestations of sexual perversion that went to their animals, to their children, even to necrophilia. They were doing all those kind of perverted things as their worship and as their culture. And God was saying, even though these people are living in such diabolical iniquity, I'm still extending grace to them. I'm still extending mercy to them. But there's gonna come a time when I'm not going to. There's gonna come a time when their iniquity is gonna be complete and then you read about that later in the book of Joshua, how God starts completing the iniquity of the Amorites. And so here it is. God reminded Abraham of his covenant. He spoke to him in 12 and now we are here in 15 and he brings clarity and God does that to us often. You know, there's some promises God whispered to you. Listen to me very carefully. Promises God has whispered to you as a child that he's going to bring to fruition as an adult. Now, I said this not long ago in a, in a sermon, and I had one of our key leaders came to me and said, it's like you stuck a hot knife in my heart when you said that because it caused me to remember the things God whispered to me in childhood. And I want to tell you something, y'all. The ministry we do for children here and with children here is hugely important because the tender hearts of kids are held in the holy hand of God. And we work together with God. We join God in the building lives of children and the building lives of students. You can look at teenagers, you say, you know, they're on their smartphones all the time. They're, they're growing up in a generation of iniquity and we don't know what to do. But you know what God does? And God wants us to be an example of love and patience with them and to lean into them. And the things we do for kids and students makes an eternal difference in their lives. For God right now is whispering to their tender hearts. And we need to remember that. I remember God whispering to me. And the revelation of my remembrance is now pushing me forward in my old age that God has been faithful throughout the years. God has been faithful. And he has been so, so good. Now this blood covenant that Abram witnessed, Abraham witnessed, it was a one-sided covenant. 
God is the only one who passed through the carcasses. Abram didn't. He's over there terrified and afraid. You know what? This promise of God, of his redemption of us, of his blood was the foreshadowing of the cross. We did not go to the cross. Jesus did. We did not shed our blood to keep the covenant. Jesus did. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is a one-sided promise. What God was saying to Abraham, listen to me, Abraham, I'm gonna bless the world through you and I'm gonna go through the blood for you. In fact, next week when we talk about the Mosaic Covenant, we're gonna look at the, at the blood sacrifice system that was a foreshadowing of Christ on the cross while he gave us the law to show us that we, didn't, we couldn't keep the law. We needed a redeemer who was above the law who would break the yoke of the law through the shedding of blood. And this is the foreshadowing right here. It's amazing to me. God passes through the blood. His promises are based on his faithfulness, not ours. Wow. How do I access this? By faith. By choosing to believe. By choosing to trust. And God has made this covenant with Abraham, the pagan, to Scott, the former pagan that he might shed his blood for me, that I might by faith believe in him and accept what he's done and then live all for him. Amazing. Same thing for you. Amazing. But I want you to notice something else. The promise was delayed by 25 years. What was that promise? That you would be the father of a great nation. And here he is, 75 years old. And God whispers this. His wife's 65. He's 75. He whispers this promise to him. And then we, we, we go through 25 years of infertility. 25 years of the promise delayed. And I've looked at this so many times. and went, God, why in the world did you take so long? And, you know, I don't know if you ever have these discussions with God. God, why do you appear to be so slow? Why don't you just deliver me at your time? And I started analyzing that, and I've come to some conclusions I want to share with you, but I want to read you again. See, in chapter 17 of Genesis, God comes again, and it reminds Abraham. This is the third time he's spoken to the covenant. He spoke to it 12, spoke to it 15, now he's speaking to it 17. And this is what he said. This is verse 1 through 8. And when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham, and he said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Abraham's probably saying, what do you think I've been doing for the last 25 years? Come on now. I've done left my daddy's house and I've done, gone, done this and done that. And here I stand. I'm 99 years old. I, got, I don't even buy green bananas anymore, God. I'm so dead. I'm old. I got one foot in the grave and another on a banana peel. And you tell me my wife's going to get pregnant? Really? You got some like magic potion around there up there, God, because I need some mandrakes. I need something. And God says, no, wait, 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 wait. This is what he says. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham fell on his face, and I love this about Abraham, because here he was with the promise delayed, 25 years. Abraham didn't get into this discussion with God and this complaint with God, which I often do. He didn't. And he fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, 
my covenant is with you and will be with the father and you will be a father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham. You know what he says in Revelation? That when we get to heaven, we're gonna get a new name. There's a new name written for me in glory. And this is the sign of transformation. And God changed his name to Abraham. For I made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make nations of you and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, the land of Cana for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. Here's some thoughts I want to give to you. I want you to listen to very carefully. 25 years, the promise was uttered, the covenant was given, and then it was delayed. Why it was delayed? Here's some thoughts. God tested Abraham by his delay. You know, what? Oh, yeah, God, God does this. You see, because God is going to keep his promises, but he's more interested in your character than he is anything else. He's more interested in you becoming like Jesus more than anything else. And, and oftentimes he tests us. He tests us in order to build us. Now, Satan will test us to destroy us. And Satan always tempts us three different ways. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. That's what Satan does in testing. You find that in the temptation of Jesus found in Matthew 4. But God, God always tests us to grow us, to test us to refine us. Satan tests us to destroy us. You have to know the difference based on character building. Is this test I'm going to endure a test to build me or a test to destroy me? And and my response then is to lean into Jesus both ways. If the test is meant to destroy me, I resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to the Lord and he will draw near to you. That's an amazing promise of God. That if I look at the test or the temptation or the trial of my life, I said, this test could destroy me, I'm going to get close to Jesus. I'm going to get close to Jesus. If this test is going to build my character, I'm going to get close to Jesus. So the move we make is always toward the Savior, not towards ourselves. Now, I read this, and, and I'm going to kind of push off of it. A faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Wait, that's right. That we need to have the tenacity of the faith and that faith is then displayed in our obedience, our reaction to God, that we're going to endure tests because Jesus said this, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Okay, we got a coronavirus going on right now. But God's whispered to me, to us, that he's going to bring us through it and we're in a test of faith that we believe he's gonna bring us through it because he wants you to have peace, not pandemonium, not panic. Not to buy nine billion rolls of toilet paper and hoard them. You will have suffering in this world. Be courageous, for I have conquered the world. James said this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, he said this. Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its full effect so you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Wow. 
I went home for lunch yesterday because you can't go out to eat. I went home for lunch and, and uh, Tara, sweet Tara, is not working right now because schools are closed. And she said, Scott, I listened to this, this podcast, this, this teaching on Job, and I want you to listen to it. And so, you know, I'm going, Job, really? Do we have to listen to Job right now during the middle of a pandemic? You know, because really? She goes, no, I want you to listen to this because I think it's pretty amazing. And so we sat down together and we listened to this lady teach and it was, it was awesome. In fact, I ended up in tears. And let me tell you why I ended up in tears because God said some things to me through this lady. And she, he said this, you know, when, and I've always questioned this. I don't really like the book of Job. When I'm reading through the Bible, I kind of like to skip through Job and just kind of not read it. But it says in Job 1 that Satan appeared before the Lord with the armies and he was an intruder there. The Lord said, Satan, what are you doing here? Not like God knew, but he asked him. Because God, when he asks a question, he already has the answer. Just know that. Satan said, I've been wandering to and fro on the earth. And the Lord says, yeah, have you considered my servant Job? He's a man of, of, of incredible integrity, upright integrity. And Satan goes, yeah, yeah, no wonder. You're pretty hedge protector. You blessed him. He's got everything in the world. And you take everything away from him, and, um, and he'll, he'll curse you and die. And God goes, no, nah, he won't. Mm-mm. He won't do that. And literally what he said, God is saying, look at my man Job. I trust him. I trust him. I trust him to be tested. I wonder if God could hold me up in front of Satan and says, consider my servants God. I know him. And I trust him to be tested. And I want to tell you something. I want you to leverage this. Some of you are going through incredible testing right now and God's saying I trust you I'm going to carry you through it because I trust you and you know what he trusts more than me he trusts me he trusts the him in me at the end of this teaching I was already emotional because goodness we have gone through some stuff in our life I mean some testing in our life we've gone through it and I know you have as well. And she interviewed this lady who had, uh, she said this, she gave her testimony. She said, you know, I grew up, I was the good girl. I was always in church and felt the love of the Lord when I was little and always just wanted to be a mom. And, and of course, she's a Southern girl. She said, but you know, I like to shop and I like to decorate and we monogram everything. And of course, she's from Tennessee, so I, I laughed about that. And she said, and um, I, had two, I had a perfect son and a perfect daughter. And then I found out, and this is something that I always wanted. I was pregnant with identical twins. And I was so excited. And my little girl, she's five, and she's this little shopper, little decorator. And we just had so much fun getting ready for these two baby boys. And we decorated rooms, and we monogrammed pillows. And we picked out little cute boy outfits. And we were all in it. It was her. It was us. And so then I went to deliver, and I delivered two beautiful, stillborn babies. And said, so my heart broke. My heart didn't break for the loss of the babies alone. It broke for my little girl who's five who's going to be waiting for mama to come home with the promise. And so she said she pulled up to the house. She got out of her car. The big belly was gone and there was no babies in her arms. And her little girl was sitting on the front steps with her nana. And she had on her little jumper with, it was October. She had a pumpkin on her little dress and barefooted. Because that's what little Southern girls do. And she ran up to mama. She said, mama, where are the boys? Where are the babies? And she said, and she said she didn't know what to do. She asked the Lord to give her words, and she knelt down. And she said, sweetheart, I, I need to tell you this. Some babies are so incredibly perfect 
that God takes them to heaven soon. That little girl looked at her. She put her hand over her heart. She goes, oh, mama, God trusted you to give those babies to him. He trusted you to go through this because her faith would not fail. And many, many times in my life, I go through these trials and tribulations and my faith falters, but my God holds me because he can trust me. You see, Abraham's was delayed because he did some disobedience. He took Lot with him and Lot was a train wreck. And, and Abraham didn't completely leave his father's house because he took his daddy with him on this journey. And finally, when it got down, guess, get this, finally, when it got down to God was Abraham's only option, God comes through with a baby. And that's where God wants you to come down to, that he is your only option. And he trusts you. Though heaven and earth turn against me, I will trust in the Lord. You see, a victorious life in Christ, a victorious Christian life, is marked by a series of new beginnings and recommitments. To be reminded of the promises of God. Here's the last thing I want to say to you. I know we've gone longer than you anticipate, but ain't nobody, you just you ain't doing nothing but sitting around in your pajamas. It's all right. And all of this, God's promises Abraham. And he promises us these things. This is what he says. He says, I'm going to fellowship with you. That means he's going to connect with us. He's going to connect with us through the Holy Spirit, through accepting Jesus in our life. And he's going to give us a family called the church that's not a building, but a movement. He's going to connect with us. I need Jesus and I need you. And we connect together for the glory of God. He says, I'm going to be committed to you. He's going to be committed to me by growing me to be like Christ and by allowing me to serve him by serving you. He's going to give me his commitment by growing and serving. And then he said, I'm going to give you an opportunity to share my love. I'm going to give you the opportunity to be an example to the world by sharing the love of Jesus in word and deed. Four things he says to Abraham and he says to you and me today, he says this, I will show you, to Abraham, he says, I'm going to show you a land. He says, I'm going to show you my promises. He says, I will make you. This is the promise of God. He will make you like Jesus. I'm going to show you and I'm going to make you. Then he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. You see, following after me is a blessing. It's a blessing. Then I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to give you provision. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to give you my people. I'm going to do these things for you because I'm going to, I want your life to be blessed by me. I don't want you to merely exist. I want you to be blessed. And he blesses us. Then he says this, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to bless the world through you. Oh. That I then am caught in the scarlet thread of redemption that weaves the souls of men into the family and the fabric of God. 
You see, faith calls us out. It brings us in. And then it sees us through. What God promised Abraham, he promises to you through Jesus. Just say yes. Why? Because great lives are built on great promises. And all of his promises are yes in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for what you've said to us in your word today. And Father, there's some of us that are listening to this that we need to say yes to you. We need to give our lives to you. We need to whisper a prayer like this, Jesus, I'm yours. I give you my life today. Forgive me of my sins and be my savior. And I'm gonna live for you, Jesus, I'm yours. And some of you just prayed that with me and welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the scarlet thread, the fabric you've been sewed into, the family of God. Father, I suspect that there's many who are listening who need to be reminded. Reminded of your promises. Like Abraham, you did three times. And like me, you've done many, many times. You've reminded me, you reminded me, you reminded me. And God, I pray that today will be a reminder of your incredible faithfulness in the uncertainties of these, of these days. That your promises hold me steady. And I thank you for that. And Father, for some who are listening, I pray that they'll remember that we are to be a blessing to the world. You didn't save us just to get us into heaven. You saved us that we might bring heaven to earth. Oh God, take and use our lives for your glory. Jesus, we are yours. Even though we meet now remotely, we are still your church moving through society to bring your hope to the world. We pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. I want to conclude with this. If you made a commitment today, we'd like to get you some material. You just need to shoot us an email. You can do that. You can email pastorscott at fbcwimberly.com, and I'll get you a Bible. I'll get you next steps. I'll do whatever I can to help you in these days of isolation. It's a great time to read your Bible, y'all, because you ain't got nothing else to do. I mean, you've watched all the Netflix shows. You might as well start reading your Bible. But we want to help you with other statements. If you've got a need or heard a habit hang up, if you need prayer, just reach out to us through our website. We'd love to do that. We may not be able to physically lay hands on you, but we sure can pray for you, and we want to do that. But I hope this helps, and I hope you will live in the promises of God. Last thing, remember, I love you. Tara and I love you. We're glad to be your pastor, even though remotely. So we'll see you again next week.